So before I read our scripture for this morning, I want to put it in context. The first story that precedes this one is the story of Zacchaeus, which we just talked to the children about, where Zacchaeus, a cheat, a fraud, a tax collector, somebody who used, misused money for his own ends, has a transformative experience when he meets Jesus. He comes out of that tree and he changes his mind about how he wants to use wealth. And what he says is, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost in how he misused money. And then immediately following our scripture for today is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, humble and loving on the back of a donkey. Now, we always talk on Palm Sunday about how Jesus could have ridden into Jerusalem like a powerful, mighty king on the back of a war horse, but he made a choice to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He made that choice intentionally to show the kind of loving friend he was, not someone who would use power to dominate people, but would to come to save, to shepherd, to befriend people all along the way. So let's listen with new ears to this story from the Gospel of Luke in between Zacchaeus and the humble king riding in on a donkey. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of the country hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. Then he said to him, And you, roll over, rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your pound. I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money into a bank? Then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, 
Bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Here ends the reading. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of God's word. I really feel like we need to ask God to add a blessing to the understanding of this word because the way we have always thought about this parable and its sister parable, do you remember the story of the talents? I think that one's much more a familiar translation more than Mina's. We've heard this, right? And we always jump right to an allegorical understanding. Jesus is just like this ruler. We are just like his servants or slaves. And he gives us talents or minas or money. And we have to use them. We have to use them to do something with them to make more of them. We have to take money and grow it for more money. But what if this reading is entirely wrong and backwards and upside down? I think it's so funny when people say, well, the Bible says X, Y, and Z. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything. We have to read it. We have to interpret it. We have to try to understand it. And I think right from the time of the ancient church fathers, we have been reading this story wrong because we turned Jesus into this wicked ruler. And why would we have done that? Right on the heels of Zacchaeus right on the heels of Zacchaeus having this transformational experience where he encounters Jesus, changes his mind about money and what you can do with it, what it's for, how it can be for building up a community, not for cheating other people. And then Jesus tells the story. I think one of the reasons we jump to the wrong interpretation is that so often Jesus begins a parable with, and the kingdom of heaven is like, or shall what? Shall we compare, what shall we compare the kingdom of heaven to? What is this kingdom like? And then he tells a story, but he doesn't do that here. He doesn't say anywhere that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, but we interpret it that way. And let's follow this, this traditional interpretation a little bit and see what it means. It would mean that Jesus is an evil king, that money is just for the sake of making more money, that people who do not want to receive Jesus as their king are called out before him and slaughtered in his presence. Instead, it's exactly the opposite, isn't it? Who is the one who's going to be put to death? Jesus himself. This is the topsy-turvy world to the kingdom Jesus is trying to invite us to enter. This leader wants power, domination, compliance, and wealth for the sake of wealth. This leader treats people like slaves. I don't think this is the kind of relationship Jesus wants with us at all. Let's try a different reading, one that I think is much more in keeping with the kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting us into. I think what Jesus is saying with this story is he's holding up a mirror. He's showing us what empire is like. He's saying, this is the system that human beings have set up, and this is what it's like. It's like people misusing power, using money just to make more money, people in competition with each other, people who, even those who have very little, what they have will be taken away from them and given to those who are wealthy. Does that still happen today? Is this the system we've set up 
where the wealthy just make more and more money, and it is very expensive to be poor. But we've just seen Zacchaeus come down from the tree and be transformed. And Jesus say, today salvation has come to this house. So the gospel is topsy-turvy. The gospel says, this is the kingdom you have. Let's flip it over and make it right. This is a beautiful book of selected essays, speeches, and meditations by Toni Morrison. And she speaks about money in this essay, The Price of Wealth and the Cost of Care. She's also holding up a mirror, telling us what our systems are like. She says, the subject is money. Whether we have the obligation to protect and stabilize what we already have and perhaps to increase it, She says, whether our goal is to earn as much as possible, whatever our situation, she says, money is the not-so-secret mistress of all our lives. And she says, like all mistresses, she is always on your mind. None of us can read a newspaper, watch a television show, or follow political debates without being inundated by the subject of wealth. Nations, regimes, media... Legislation all soaked in and overwhelmed by the wealth narrative concerning its availability, its movement, its disappearance, how its absence and mismanagement topples nations at worst, distorts and manipulates them. And she goes through certain points in history and points out the price of wealth. The origins of its accumulation are bloody and profoundly cruel, involving, as it always and invariably does, war. Virtually no wealthy empire became one without mind-warping violence. This is the price of wealth, but she contrasts it with the cost of care. What Jesus is inviting us into is a different way of looking at money. We are stewards of what we have. We don't possess it for our own ends, but we can use it for the building up of the community. We also, in addition to how we so often misinterpret this passage, we misquote Paul when we say that money is the root of all evil. He didn't write that money is the root of all evil. He writes that love of money is the root of all evil. Money can be an amazing tool. Money can be the way we care for each other, the way we build people up, but not if we love it so much that we don't love people enough. Jesus invites us to be like the Good Samaritan, the person who would see somebody beaten and bedraggled and lying in a ditch and taking the wealth that they have and sharing it with that person. The Good Samaritan picked that person up, carried him to a safe place, said to someone in an inn, take my money and use it to heal this person, and I will come back. If it costs you any more than this to heal him, I will share what I have to make him well. This is how we can use money. It isn't that money itself is evil. The love of money is evil. So did you know that the Puritans, our spiritual forebears, used this town green as a commonwealth pasture land? Do you know the 
common in Boston is called the Boston Common because people would graze their animals on it together and they would take turns watching over the commonwealth, watching over one another's property. We think sometimes that money is to be a competition. Can I have more than my neighbor? So that if it was your neighbor's cow who was wandering away, you just might be tempted to let it go because then you would be winning this competition. But not so for our ancestors who wanted to hold all things in common and to look after each other's property as though it was their own, to share everything that they had for the common good. So can we transform the way we think about money? Can we change our minds? Can we climb down out of a tree? Can we change our minds like Zacchaeus and think that money can be used to care for each other? Money is not just for building up for its own good, for saving away. How is it that we used to think that it was like a talent buried in the ground, that if we didn't share it, we were like we weren't using our talents the way they might have been used? So I want you to... Help me think about examples of how we are the church. We are the community doing this together. When we pledge, when we give to the church, it's just another way of participating in the ministries that we're all engaged in together. When you look at the beautiful picture on social media of the apartment that was set up, whether you were there making those bedrooms so beautiful or not, you are a part of the work that we all do together. So let us think of all the ways that we can be the church one that we can enter into Jesus' kingdom, one where we can care for each other. Thanks be to God.